Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the Digital Resource Curator for Faith to Go. And I'm Charlotte Pressler, and I'm the Director of Formation for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And I'm Bishop Phyllis Spiegel, the Diocesan Bishop for the Episcopal Diocese of Utah. And welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast for this upcoming Sunday, Proper 5 in year A, if I'm not mistaken. We're finally into the Propers. Improper uh, Propers. The Improper Propers, mm-hmm. the green season, as you might call it. And we're so excited to welcome Bishop Phyllis Spiegel to the episode. Thank you so much, Bishop Phyllis, for joining us. It is an incredible delight to be here after listening to this podcast for so many years. Thank you for the invitation. So amazing. We learned recently that Bishop Phyllis is a longtime listener. How did it happen? You saw Bishop Susan. Yeah, we were standing in line with each other, and I just suddenly realized, I mean, I knew we were in the same province, So, but just for some reason, it just clicked. You're the Bishop of San Diego. Wait, that's the Faith to Go podcast diocese. <laughs> and I said it about that excitedly. Yeah. She was like, what? I was like, I have listened to this for years yeah. and just love it. I said, you know, just, man, they do such great work and David and Charlotte and the guests. And I just, I love it. I, I listen on Mondays when I hike. It's part oh, of my uh, Sabbath uh-huh. And it's part of my preparation. So and then this miracle invitation came That's just right. like, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I know people now. Yeah. How cool is yeah. that? Yeah. As soon as we find out someone likes the show, we immediately invite them to come be on on. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> it's, very, uh-huh. it's part of our, our ethos over here. That's so fun. And we're so excited to have you again. And as always, we'd love to hear more about ministry context from all over the place. So would you tell us a little bit about your ministry context and what's going on and what you're working on, what you're excited about? Oh, we are on fire in the Diocese of Utah, I think, because I was just consecrated in September. So I'm kind of like eight months in. So it has been a bit of of a fire hose. But the the reason, and I was in this great parish in Southern Ohio, outside of Cincinnati, and somebody handed me the profile and said, this is, this is you. So I started looking at it, and they are all about rooted in Jesus, becoming beloved community, really, really wanting to dig into that work. And that's the work that I did in COVID, grew my ministry and in the church's ministry that I was serving in. So to find a diocese that was looking to join with a leader to do this work, mm-hmm. just truly a match made in heaven. So we're hitting it hard and trying to to figure out the ways that this really goes from the paper or our own personal learning into a systematic change within a state. Mm-hmm. So as you know, Utah is, is fairly well known for being the home of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. The Episcopal Diocese of Utah is a little bit of a minority, we might say, mm-hmm. compared to the predominant religion. So we make up one-tenth of one percent of wow. the faith-going people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that you heard that right, one-tenth of one percent. What excites me about that is that's sort of the statistics for the original disciples, right, mm. in the early church. So we're doing that work. So the work of really looking at how do you grow in your own faith practices. So I, over and over again, turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, rest, the seven practices of the way of love, I I hit those all the time because I think we have to grow as disciples so that then we can go out. So we know before we grow, and that's the stuff we're doing right now. Uh I love it. And anybody else doing that work in the church, get in touch with Utah. We'd love to connect. I love that invitation, and I love the description of being on fire right now as we have just, you know, had Pentecost, the celebration, and we are into this season, and just thinking about (laughs) all of the ways that the Holy Spirit moves, and sometimes it does feel like being on fire. 
Yeah, and that's a great transition to my next question, uh-huh. which is about where you've seen God in the last few weeks. We invite you to share either a consolation or a desolation. We're very Ignatian on the Faith to Go podcast. You can either share a time where you really, it was easy to feel God's presence moving or when it was maybe harder to feel God's presence moving. So do you have a God sighting or not sighting that you could share with us? I have a pretty major God sighting because my brother flew in from Virginia a week ago. His oldest kids have just finished college. And so, you know, to take a a trip by himself was like a big thing, but he really felt called to come out to to Utah to do a pilgrimage. When we were looking at the calendar, I said, you got to come when I'm going to Moab because I'll be traveling the whole state because I'm up in Salt Lake City. I just had that week with my brother of traveling all of Utah. And we went out to the bear dance on the Ute Reservation and got to meet uh, tribal elders. I got to participate in the in the bear dance because women invite the men. So my brother didn't get to participate because nobody asked him, but I went up and, and was taught how to ask somebody else. So the expanse of, of the diocese, the beauty of the people, it's the beauty of the place, and then the place are the people. It's, they reflect within each other. But it is a sacred land. Mm-hmm. To be able to travel the whole thing, we went down one side and came up the other over the course of a week and um, did Arches and did Bryce Canyon took a couple of extra days uh, of vacation. And it was so stunning to just be out and to see the incredible variety of, of rock formations, of, of soil formations. It just, it blew my mind. The immensity of God, and yet knowing that it's often in those spaces that you can clearly hear for the first time because the, the ambient noise is silenced. Mm. And then you hear, so you your your eyes are beholding the grandeur of God, but your ears are listening for that still small voice. Just spectacular. I love it. And now I want to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now you know people. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Beautiful. The That's podcast right. helps with contact. so many things. That's right. Faith to go on the go to Utah. Faith to go on the go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> love it. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bishop Phyllis, for sharing those things. If anybody wants to learn more about Diocese of Utah or what's what's going on there, we'll put the diocesan website link in the description for the episode. So just scroll down there and click on it and check out what's going on in Utah. We would also love to hear from you all, anybody that's listening, if you have any questions or comments or stories from your week of faith discussion and reflection, if you've got a God sighting to share or you'd like to share about your ministry context, or if you'd like to share about your sacred land, you know, mm-hmm. the land that is sacred to you where you where you feel God's presence. We'd love to hear from you there. All those ways of getting in contact with us are listed in the description for the episode as well. And now we're going to transition to our gospel discussion, again, for this upcoming Sunday, proper five in year A, Matthew's year. Now we begin our long trek through the gospel of Matthew and Jesus's ministry in the gospel of Matthew. So we'll begin today with Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13, not 14 to 17. Nope, can't read them. But then also 18 to 26, Mm -hmm. okay? So that's Matthew 9, 9 to 13, and 18 to 26. Charlotte will read it. And then I'll give a little bit of context as we get into Matthew's gospel, and then we'll each have a point. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to them, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came up and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not for sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. 
While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him, and with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, for your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. Here we are in Matthew chapter 9. Interesting, Matthew doesn't get invited to be a disciple until nine chapters into the gospel. That's pretty, it seems so late. But what has already happened in Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount, which was in, started in chapter 5. And so Jesus is still up in that region of Galilee, going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. So he was in Capernaum. He went over uh, to the Gerasenes, the, the Gerasene demoniac, and I, th- I believe is back over. So they've had the storm in the boat on the water where Jesus quiets the storm. That's already happened. And now Jesus has been doing some, some healing. So there's a lot of healing stories in the last couple chapters. So this is a, in a larger kind of block of healing stories as Jesus is doing his ministry up in, in his home region of Galilee. So that's where we are. We're, it's kind of nice. We're like, right, we're getting in this, or in ordinary time, we go back to kind of like the meat of Jesus's actual ministry, which is what 90% of the Gospels is. It's not, you know, it's not Advent, and it's not Lent and Easter season. It really is. This is the, this is where Jesus is making these important statements, doing these important acts, and really showing us what it means to embody God in the world. So here we are, getting back into, into the heart of the gospel in this narrative journey that we'll be on for the, for the summer and fall. And Bishop Phyllis has the first point. So I think as I was reading this passage, I, I became keenly aware that the call here sounds different than the call of the other disciples and certainly the call that we heard, like say in Mark's gospel, mm-hmm. you know, where it seems like they're waiting and looking for this Messiah to come. And so they they follow because they think this is the one, right? This is the man. But these stories are all about healing. Mm-hmm. And and certainly the one that comes right before our, our reading is the story of the man being lowered down through the roof. Mm-hmm. It's no accident, right, that the one that's being called today is the tax collector. You get this, this calling forward. And it occurs to me that that so often when I think about following Jesus, I think about following the call for the way Jesus, that God wants me to live in life, that I'm following, not out of sense of obligation or duty, but I'm, I'm following because I'm a Christian, because I'm a disciple, because I follow the one who teaches me how to live. And this makes me stop and think that it's easy to do that and close off the parts in us that really need to be healed, those parts that we're looking into deeply. And I got a little curious and I was like, why are we leaving out those verses in the middle? You know, yeah. like you always wonder like, what's being yeah. left out? And it's the part about new wineskins. And, you know, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. And I thought, well, actually, that's really important for us to understand with this healing. So mm-hmm. when I want to renew my commitment to Jesus, I need a new self that to not keep my old harms and my old hurts, those things that we bury down deep and we guard up, right? And then we just pretend like they don't exist. 
And we get so used to those broken places inside ourselves that we don't actually recognize that they're there anymore sometimes. And I think this is a real invitation to say, we're all in need of healing Mm -hmm. and we need to move from the place of following Jesus to following the the one who can heal us and make us whole. And Charlotte, you said something on last week's podcast. You said, you know, we need to show up as our authentic self. Like we need to show up. I'm not exactly sure how you worded it, but it was basically like, show up as you are. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that looks like. And the number of times that people apologize for crying in church. Have you all heard that before? Like, I'm so sorry. I started crying. I'm like, what? Where are you going to cry? If you're not going to cry here, mm-hmm. it, we got to let the facades go. And I think, I think that that final aha comes when Jesus goes to the dead child and raises the dead child. When all the, the the people are out there, the professional mourners are out there crying and you know are making the raucous and and putting on the big show. And what he says is like, there is no place in you that's so dead I can't get to it. Mm-hmm. And to sit in our pews on Sunday morning and to think. What do I think actually can't be healed inside of me? What have I just grown accustomed to living with? What can I really give to Jesus so I might follow him into a newness and wholeness of life that I've never even imagined for myself? Something that you said right at the beginning was really poignant for me when you were talking about the man that was lowered through the roof, because I love that story, because I always am thinking about that man's friends. I'm always thinking about like how desperate this person was and how deeply they needed healing, that their friends loved them enough, right? Like the the way that Jesus loves us to carry them up on the roof, to pull the roof apart and to lower them, lower that person into that space. I'm just, I always am thinking about that and how sometimes our healing comes from within and sometimes our healing comes from opening ourselves to God. And sometimes that healing is facilitated through other people's love for us and helping us to, to gain access to what we really need. That sounds like a, a relentless love, you know, like it's it's just going to, nothing's going to stop it. Like they just like saw in through the roof, you know, right. and that to think about not only our friends having that, but, but God having that love for us. It is a relentless love. You will notice that there is a theme in today's podcast. This happens sometimes where all of us are drawn to a similar passage, but with a slightly different lens. And so my section of this is from the same area, but it is with a slightly different lens. And I was thinking about the very end of that first section before the break, where it says, for I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Right? Like the righteous people are trying to follow, they're doing everything they're supposed to do and all of those things. And I was thinking about the difference between those people and Jesus's continual call, Jesus's continued invitation and partnership with people who are either hurt or who are marginalized because of their own behaviors or societal norms, both and. And that Jesus in that instance, there's something about those people that because of their lived life experiences, that they are open, that when you are in that space, that you are open in a way that you are not when you are feeling righteous. Because when we feel like we are doing everything all right, when we feel like we are going to church every Sunday, we are praying just the right way, we got our finances in order, my kids look perfect in every family picture, like all of those things that we give ourselves our proverbial gold star for, you know, like, yay me. Um, Those are the times that we are less open to hearing a prophetic voice, to hearing the ways in which Jesus is calling us to be in partnership and relationship with him. And so I don't think it's that Jesus does not want to call the righteous. 
I think that Jesus wants everybody, right? Like Jesus loves absolutely all of us. But Jesus's ongoing partnership with these people has to do with the fact that they have been othered and unaccepted for so long. It feels like it has to do with the fact that they are open and they're ready to hear, follow me, and then to do it. Because if you said that to a righteous person, they might be like, well, this Tuesday, I have my appointment that I need to take care of such and such. And, you know, I don't have this duck in a row yet. And then, well, maybe I could catch up with you next week in Galilee, Jesus. The inclination when we are feeling righteous and like we have everything together to put off an immediate call, I think is natural. And it's only when we are able to set aside that behavior of ourselves and view our own selves as imperfect human beings. Because let's be honest, sometimes when we are feeling the most righteous, we are actually least closely following. Um, (laughs) So if we can set that aside, then we can create this expansiveness, this openness that allows room for Jesus to say, follow me. Uh Yeah, beautiful. The thing that struck me in like thinking about the through line of these three stories is how all these people are, I'm just imagining all these people kind of being at the end of their rope, just like, in, in the words of like 12 step kind of language, like really hitting rock bottom. And like that place where just nothing is working, nothing has worked. All of our efforts to heal ourselves, to figure it out for ourselves, to make ourselves feel better, it's all for naught. And I'm just imagining these three people the, the synagogue leader, the woman who's been bleeding, and Matthew, the tax collector. Clearly, kind of in the center of the story is the hemorrhaging woman. And it says very clearly, like, she's tried literally everything. Like, everything that she has tried, nothing has worked. No one's been able to heal her. Like you're saying, just that place of being willing to do anything, to try any new thing that will possibly lead to healing, is such a powerful place to be. And so I'm just kind of expanding that out to these other people, thinking about the synagogue leader, you know, like a leader of the Jewish people in this position of of relative power. And maybe what it would have been like for, for this person to go to this kind of like fringe leader of this group of people that's kind of like pushing back against the institution. I wonder, similar to other times when like Nicodemus goes to Jesus in the night, you know, has to sneak away because he's a Pharisee and wants to ask Jesus about a thing. Like, I obviously don't know the whole social situation of the synagogue leader, but I'm, I'm just imagining maybe this person is really getting to the end of their rope. Like maybe they've been trying to heal their daughter for a long time and going to Jesus is just like the last resort. And how that's actually really like a sacred place to be. I'm imagining Matthew sitting this kind of this tax collector and a tax collector being a relatively powerful person, a way to really gain wealth as a Jewish person in the Roman Empire by exploiting your own people. I wonder what like Matthew's state of mind is in this moment. Like we think about it as like, oh, this incredible act of faith that Matthew just like in this moment is like, yes, of course I'll follow you. You're the Messiah. Kind of like you're saying, Bishop Phyllis. But like, what if it's actually like, this is the day that Matthew realized nothing is working anymore, you know? And that the real miracle is that Jesus approaches him on that day. Mm -hmm. That if it happened any other day, it wouldn't have been like this. But that Jesus finds him, is attuned to him in such a way that Jesus knows this is the day. Maybe Jesus has been watching Matthew for a long time. Maybe they grew up together. Like all these people, this is where Jesus grew up, you know? It's like maybe Jesus knows Matthew already. And it's like finally this is the day that Matthew's actually going to be open to something new. 
to some new way, some new path for his life, that every, every day before this day, his response would have been, actually, I've got to figure it out. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. But that today is the day that, that he will follow you know, and try something new and open himself up to God's movement in, in his life. And that happens at different times in everybody's life. And, and so I just, I love the, like, that sacred moment of hitting rock bottom, that it's terrible it's terrible. And in like the 12-step world, it is both this terrible thing and this sacred thing because it's the worst moment of your life and it's also the time that everything turns around. And that that, that moment shares both of those things and that is that beautiful non-duality of God in the world. And then the follow-up to that, I think, is like at the, the other central part of this story is this pushback against Jesus gathering all these people that are hitting rock bottom and how powerful it is to gather with other people that are having that same moment. That's the other thing that that is so beautiful about 12-step programs. Like how many of our churches host 12-step programs in our buildings? And the, the crazy thing is that they are actually embodying this moment more than most of our congregations are. And it's happening in the same building as our congregations are gathering. What if our Eucharistic services could be, like we're saying, this moment when we come together saying, I'm at rock bottom today for this thing. And I just want to be in communion with all these people that are in that same place. And that healing then happens in community. It's not just this miraculous thing like only Jesus can do. The way Jesus heals people is by gathering them. We heal by gathering as our authentic selves, like showing up with our hurt Mm -hmm. and then hearing other people's hurt and being able to share our hurt. And the healing that happens in like a 12-step meeting is when you say, this is what's happening for me today. This is my rock bottom today. And other people can look at you and nod their head, and you know that you're not alone. And that knowledge is what is healing, I think. So, I was actually going to talk about 12 steps, so it's funny that I didn't. And you just, just did such a beautiful job. It goes back to my point about sitting in church and guarding up. Yeah. One of the things that I got to do in the last week was to sit with two folks in recovery mm-hmm. and and hear them having conversation and about being able to be in the recovery group allows them to be present as they are, mm-hmm. whereas in other spaces they have to, uh, you know, modulate to the, you know, okay, who's a good influence, who's not, who's, yeah. you know, this sort of thing, what's what might be a trigger, what might not. In the 12-step program, the only thing you can really mess up is to come and, and posture and not be who right. you are because right. it won't work, right? right? Mm-hmm. But in church, we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. You can have a conversation with somebody and say, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm fine. How was your week? Oh, it was good. Da, da, da. And then you find out, you know, their child got sick. They got a demotion at work that, you know, their car broke down and you go, what? Right. You didn't get any of that. Right. So we do all that. What? That just doesn't make sense yeah. to me. So I think that's what this gospel also challenges us to do yeah. is to recognize that the hemorrhaging woman knew she was hemorrhaging. Right. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to be healed mm-hmm. if we won't recognize and, and be vulnerable mm-hmm. with one another mm-hmm. in our need for healing. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful because in these three people, we see like one, a person who themselves is having this physical suffering. Another person, and I'm just obviously extrapolating here, but thinking of Matthew as like this person that's really questioning themselves, their vocation, their life. And then we have this person who has a family member, a loved one that is suffering. Any one of us can connect with any of those experiences of like being, of the total powerlessness of those experiences, not knowing where I'm supposed to be going, 
not knowing how I'm going to heal from chronic illness and not being able to heal someone that I love. And like, that is like such a universal experience for all of us. We experience all of those things through our lives. And so like you're saying, like Jesus is the guy that gathered all those people. Mm -hmm. And we say we follow Jesus and we go to church to follow Jesus. And if anything, we should be able to bring all those three stories with us because we're all experiencing that all the time. Well, and the thing I was thinking about in this whole conversation that kept coming up for me again and again is being broken is sacred instead of shameful. Mm -hmm. And I think that so often that we connect our broken places with shame. Sometimes, you know, it is a facade and it's the way that we choose to walk in the world that we're afraid that people won't love us if they see the full breadth Mm -hmm. and depth of the ways in which we are broken. Mm -hmm. And what a gorgeous invitation it is to think of our broken spaces as sacred Mm -hmm. and the ways in which we can be in relationship with each other if we are willing to share those broken places. Mm -hmm. I I just think it's really beautiful to think of it a different way. Those are our three points. They worked well together. They were beautiful together. (laughs) Point number one was from Bishop Phyllis thinking the story of following Jesus and being a disciple so much about healing, not just about learning and about growing, but about like recognizing uh, where we're hurting and being with each other. And Charlotte's was similar, thinking about how we get to that place of, of recognizing that we need healing. And then I kind of followed up with that, thinking about that place of rock bottom and the power of gathering with others who have come to that place of knowing they need healing. Having heard those three points, we'd love to hear what your point would have been if you'd been on the podcast this week. Again, all those ways of getting in contact with us are in the description for the episode. We'd love to hear any of those questions, comments, or stories, your week of faith discussion, reflection, your God sightings, your ministry context, all those sacred things that are happening in your life. Thank you again to Bishop Phyllis Spiegel for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Bishop. A momentous day in my life, I assure you. (laughs) And us as well. Yes. Uh, Make sure to go check out the Diocese of Utah. Again, the website will be in the description for the episode. See what's going on with them. We hope you'll be on the podcast again sometime. Anytime. Yeah. All right. Thank you all again for joining us. We'll be back next week to talk about Proper 6 in Year A. And until then, we say goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye, everybody. everybody. Goodbye, everybody.